This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Lord, your church has been languishing for 2,000 years. Uh, we are encouraged, though, that through the prophetic record, we see that you are in control of the events of the church. Father, if there be any young individuals who have been discouraged by the politics of the church, sway of ideas of whatnot, Lord, provide healing this weekend. Lord, we want to go home. So, Father, we ask that you revive our hearts, enlighten our minds, help us to clearly see Jesus and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. If we have done anything wrong, if we have done anything to dishonor heaven, we ask for your forgiveness and we boldly claim the blood of Jesus and we expect and look forward to the blessings you will send from heaven. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The seminar is entitled, On What Basis? The Beginning of the Controversy. Um, tomorrow, after, tomorrow morning's is called, Through What Medium? And then the last one is called, For What End? Um, what do these seminar titles mean? I have absolutely no idea. I just put them together because the program booklet needed three titles. Um, so they, they reflect nothing of what the content is going to be on. Okay. Um, the seminar is, is going to be about liberals and conservatives, um, relativism and fundamentalism, and some of the problems we have in the church that I believe GYC may be one of the answers, or if not the answer, to some of the things that we see. Okay? If you have any questions, by all means, please raise your hands for, for a clarification question. Uh, if, you want me tell, if you want to tell me your, your testimony, I won't listen to it now because we're recording. Okay? The pendulum effect is something that we see throughout history. How many of you are familiar with the pendulum? I'm not in something intelligence. I'm just seeing if you understand English. <laughs> the pendulum effect is something of a, of a low center of gravity, and it swings from one side. And then when it comes back to the center, does it stop at the center? It keeps on going, and then you, you have this thing, and it goes indefinitely. The sway of ideas follows this pattern. We go to something super liberal. The next generation goes to something super what? The next generation reacts to that and goes back to something liberal. Okay? Now what happens is those who are in the middle get trapped because they're forced by the momentum to swing one way or the other. Unless the momentum of the center is so strong, it actually centers the weight spot on. The pendulum effect is, can be defined as periods of one character are followed by periods of the opposing character. Okay? There are, in economic terms, there are seasons of plenty. You all remember the 90s when times were good? Yes? Do you remember them? Maybe they weren't so good. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the 2000s, 9-11 hits, and now we're in Iraq and the economic crash, and now we're in times of scarcity. Um, liberality versus conservatism, activism versus apathy. There is also in philosophy something called the he he Hegelian dialectic from Hegel. I don't know how you pronounce that. But uh, you have a thesis. It's reacted by an antith antithesis, antithesis, and that forms a synthesis, and that becomes the new thesis, and this happens all throughout history. Anyway, that's boring, but that's, that's what he said. In American politics, you the same, see the same thing. Again, I'm not making any political statement. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. It's just you see the sway uh, uh, of the pendulum effect. In the 1960s, you have JFK. Um, and also LBJ, his vice president after assassination, known as to be liberals. His reaction was in the 70s was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon comes to power, and because of his, um, uh, the, the, the scandal that he did, and right after his uh, vice president, Gerald Ford, pardoned him, people were so sick of this, uh, the, the conservative side, that in comes a liberal named Jimmy Carter. They wanted someone who was pure, a church guy, and Jimmy Carter was the epitome of, of innocence. But because of his liberalness, the people were sick of that. And they reacted against, in the 80s, with Reaganism, a conservative. Um, Reaganomics and, and total conservative policy. Bush Sr. was basically an extension of Reagan's policies. In the 90s, you have Bill Clinton's first term, and he was a, a total liberal Democrat. The reaction against him was 1994. Newt Gingrich started something called the Contract with America. And Bob Dole was put up to be a contender against him. He lost. Bill Clinton, too, came about. Um, with his sex scandal came about George Bush in the 2000s. And in 2000s, it was dominated by George W. Bush, one and two. 
and the reaction to Bush was, was who? Was Obama. Is there a reaction against Obama right now? We call that the Tea Party, and we see in the recent elections that the Congress was just overturned. Okay? Again, I'm not making any political statements, but do you see how the pendulum effect works in this? Okay? Now, this being said, young people, it is in the nature of young people to get discouraged when you see this sway. Yes? Um, I, I, I personally am not of that nature. I enjoy to see the, the conflict, and, and it's like, ah, whoa, is, is, what is that next? Yes, whoa, whoa, and, and, and try to calculate and strategize, and, 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 and there, are, there are problems with that, too. Um, but, but many young people have left the church because they've seen these internal politics happen in the church, right? And so what can we do to provide some kind of healing to this? The reality is, and during Jesus' day, there were politics in his time, wasn't there? And tomorrow morning, we'll actually cover some of the details of that. But let me go through North American theology, okay? In the 1900s, liberalism was king. Liberal Protestantism had a monopoly. In Germany, there was a guy, a theologian named Albert von Harnack. He, called some, he had something called the social gospel. The social gospel basically said, Jesus is not coming. Jesus is not coming. Why would he come to a world that has all these problems? He will only come to this world when everything has been resolved, when poverty has been eliminated, when homelessness has been eliminated, when, when, the, when the society here is made better. So let's stop focusing on evangelism and on doctrine and all of these things. Let's focus on helping the world. Okay? In the United States, there was a theologian named Walter Rauschenbusch, who was the equivalent. He also preached the social gospel. These guys got all their information from Frederick Schleiermacher, who is the father of liberal theology. Schleiermacher was basically saying, and, and some of you are already glazing over, okay? That's, that's all right. I completely expected this. The, the, <laughs> these individual names, they're important because they explain the situation right now. Yes? where we are in history, why you're sitting here, and the weird freakish thing that you're spending your Christmas vacation here and giving us money while doing that, okay? That is a, that is a social, spiritual, organizational phenomenon, why, why you are here, okay? And by you being here, you are reacting to some of these ideas that have been going on for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, okay? Does that make sense? I'm just giving you a context, okay? So if you're bored, God bless you. If you're not... Uh, let's talk. Uh, Frederick Schleiermacher was the father of liberal theology, and basically he was reacting to all this, just, just the ivory tower, tower people, and he said, in the end, the most important thing is the what? Is the experience. Okay. How many of you guys have been to a church or to a camp meeting or a sermon where they emphasize what you need, the most important thing that you need is an experience? Yes? Now, is that true or false? Okay. Do we need a religious spiritual experience? Absolutely. Right. But what happens is when you're reacting against one side, what happens is you actually don't come back to the center. You, you get so burned by one side that you swing the, all the way to the other side. And instead of saying, hey, we need doctrine and experience together, because you've been pummeled with doctrine, you rea- overreact and you say, all we need is what? Is experience. And a lot of the experiences in the church and the the problems we have in church are as people have been burned. They've been what? Been burned. Okay? So in order for for, and and here's the thing. You guys are, the the majority of you, are young people, and the young people have never been burned yet. Right? You don't know. Oh, oh, yeah, experience is fine. Yeah, doctrines, that's fine. Okay? But if you're like 90 years old and you've been in the church, and when you hear doctrine, some people get like a, they they start getting in a coma. You know, it's like a seizure, okay? Oh, no, because they've been burned, okay? They get flashbacks. Or some people, when they say experience, they, they convulse on the floor because, no, no more experience. I hate it. No more experience, you know. But when young people come to the, to the floor for the first time, they're like, why are these people freaking out, right? And if this is what church is, I don't want to be here. So I'm this guy, <laughs> okay? Is this making sense? It's making sense. So um, uh, it's, it's my personal, in my personal ministry, I believe that the mission of GYC is to have young people encounter the gospel in its purity. 
in its pure sense, for what it's worth, not as a reaction to, to what or what, what not. Okay? Make sense, everyone? Okay? Just nod. It encourages me or say amen. Okay? Um, if, if you don't know what I'm saying, just nod anyway. Just pretend you know what you're saying or what you're saying. And that encourages me and maybe the Holy Spirit will bless you or, or not. Now, what happened is liberalism was, was, was super powerful. And in World War I, World War I proved that liberal theology wasn't working. Why? Say, hey, we need to make the world better. We need to make the world better. World War I happens. <laughs> the world's not better. <laughs> the world's horrible. Oh, no. The world is, oh, the end of the world is here. Okay, so social gospel totally doesn't work. So in World War I, Demos, liberal Protestantism, there are some guys who attempted to restore the fundamentals. You guys have, you have people like Richard Niebuhr, Karl Barth, Rudolf Bultmann, Emma Brunner. Those three Bs, they're called the three Bs, they had something called neo-orthodoxy. And they're basically saying, hey, let's not go to the left, let's bring the old true things and let's bring it up again. Okay? And anyway, we can go on that for, for a while, but I won't because they're boring. Um, they reigned for 40 to 50 years. And then after they died, after they died in the 60s and, and 70s, in evangelical theology, no dominant person is really on the scene anymore. Okay? There is something called process theology, theology of evolution, situational ethics, feminist, radical, uh, secular, hope, history, evangelical. There's just this whole hodgepodge. And basically, right now, everyone can choose what they want. Hey, I'm a girl, so I'll be a feminist theologian, but uh, um, I like science. So we'll mix a little bit of feminism with a little bit of evolution, and I like hope. And you, and you can customize your own theology. Okay? Process theology, if you're wondering what that means, is basically God doesn't know the future. He's exactly like us. Okay? It's in the openness of God. Kind of, uh, he's, he's, he's anticipating what choices we'll make just as much as we are. Okay? Prophecy goes out the window. Um, situational ethics basically says there is no ethics. All you have to do is the most loving thing, and God will bless you. Okay, so if you want to murder your husband because you love another person, that's okay because you're doing the most loving thing. Secular theology says you're doing theology um, without the belief of God. Okay, isn't that, isn't that interesting? Let's have a theology where there is no God, and I want to follow that theology. The theology of hope is something that's pretty much um, found prevalent in the Adventist church for a while. The saying that looking into the future, and I don't want to go into some of these things. We'll cover it a little bit later. Liberal theology was um, articulated best by Ernest Trolch. He had three things. And when, when we encounter liberalism in its purest sense, there is these three principles that are involved. The first principle is the principle of criticism. And the principle of criticism means there's methodolo methodological doubt. Meaning, whenever I encounter anything, I have doubt about it. Okay, so is the Bible true? Well, is Genesis well? Well, is Jesus well? And everything must be first doubted. Second is principle of analogy. This uh, says that present experience is the basis for all truth. Okay, so if if I read the Bible and it says that Jesus walked on water, well, today in the present setting, can I walk on water? No. Therefore, if it's not happening in the present, then it could have never happened in the past, and therefore that is incorrect and must be reinterpreted in the light of the present. Okay? Make sense, everyone? The third one is the principle of correlation, meaning it's taking the first two and then say these two are related, and you're creating some form, some form of truth out of these things. Um, this was pretty much uh, the... the um, the, the paradigm that all liberals have. For example, you guys have your Bibles with you? Okay? We're not going to open your Bibles. I'm just saying, I'm asking if you have your Bibles. <laughs> Good job. You're going to open your Bibles. It's the first pastor that you said, don't open your Bibles. Okay, we'll open our Bibles tomorrow morning. There is a huge difference. And, and in this presentation, we're not talking in, on the realm of, of information. We're talking in the realm of presuppositions. Now, for some of you, some of you are like, that's just, yeah, what? what do these things mean? We're not talking about what you see. We're talking about what kind of glasses you're wearing. Make sense? There are some people out there that say that the Bible is not truth, but it contains truth. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the difference between those two statements are? 
The Bible is not truth, but it contains truth. What does that mean? What is, what is implicit in those statements? Yeah. There are fallacies, and so what? It is up to the, to the who? The reader to what? To interpret and to determine what is and what is. Okay, so then the judge is not for the objectivity of Scripture, but the subjectivity of the, the reader. Okay, and this has been a lot of a lot of preachers are into this, a lot of denominations into this, and this is even a lot of Adventist churches, unfortunately. Okay. Anyway, there's a lady named Etta Linneman. Um, she was a hardcore liberal, hardcore. Uh, she she was. Uh, um, hardcore into this <laughs> and uh, she came out with a book called historical criticism of the bible and she was actually one of the first liberals that actually said hey you know what liberalism is empty liberalism is nothing but searching for man's wisdom in the midst of nothing and uh, she actually came out to the other side and we'll look at some other other methods of, uh, of interpretation of Adventist theology well i'm going to go through the history of, of Adventist theology in 1888 there was a soteriological crisis. Soteriological is just a long, fancy word for theologians to, to seem smarter than everyone else. Uh, it means the process, or not process, the study of how to be saved. And if you know Adventist theology, Adventist history, in 1888, there was a crisis in Minneapolis. And people wondered, hey, what is this whole thing about righteous by faith and, and all these things? Next 50 years, the church was focused on mission. In those 50 years, the church, which was 75,000 people, grew to 500,000 people. There was unity, basically, in the church. There were some problems. Um, a guy named Robert Ballinger and W. w. Fletcher in the United States and Conradi in Europe, who had caused some problems. Um, and by 1950s is basically when uh, all H.E. double hockey stick uh, broke out in the church. Okay? Before, there was one generic kind of uniform Adventist church. But after QOD, which is a book called Questions on Doctrine, came out, there was the Christological crisis. People had different opinions about this. Uh, we're not going to get into this for sake of time. In 1980s, there was a guy named uh, Ford. This is not Henry Ford who made the car. This is a, another individual. And he um, came out with the idea of denying the sanctuary doctrine, amongst among, on other things. Uh, and I think Dr. Domsty, if you were here in his previous presentation, he talked a little bit about this. Okay? Uh, my understanding is, uh, and, and, and those of you who are older, please do not be discouraged, but a lot of you are not alive during this time, correct? In the 1980s. Um, we, 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 I, I was born. <laughs> around then, and um, uh, it discouraged my theology professors when I had to learn about him through my history books, <laughs> of all places. But he was a, a person who had a powerful impact on the Seventh-day Adventist Church. My understanding is a third of, of Adventism's intelligentsia left the church at that time. Okay? Um, we are still reaping the reverberations of that crisis. Okay? Now, again... And a lot of you are young people. You're, you've been brainwashed by, by secular education. You're looking at this as a PowerPoint. You're like, ah, oh, information, and you're writing notes. But I want to ask you to just suspend some of your brainwashed tendencies and, and understand that we are all living in the context of all these effects. Amen, everyone? Is that, is that clear? Okay. Um, when some people are saying that, when some people come up to the, the pulpit and say, like, hey, we need to see Jesus on the cross, they're coming from a context. Okay, they may be reacting at something, um, and anyway, this we need to be. I think, as as Seventh Day Adventist future leaders and future future adults, we need to be aware of what kind of context we're entering into. In 1980, there is a, an individual named Richard Rice. He's currently a professor at Loma Linda University. He came up with a book called The Openness of God, um, basically saying that and, and, and these theologians that I'm mentioning. I'm not pointing them out as, you know, these are the evil men of Adventism, let's excommunicate them. I'm saying they are um, aberrant versions of theology, and, and I think they are sincere individuals. I'm not questioning their salvation or whatnot, but they do are bringing creative versions, if you will, of, 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 of the image of God. Uh, the openness of God is, is basically God does not know the future. He does not know what's going to happen. 
uh, he does not cause suffering. He doesn't know. He, he's, just, he's on his tippy toes to wonder what you're going to do just as much as, as you are. And, and prophecy goes out the window. 1982, Jack Provencia has a book called You Can Go Home Again. This is basically moral influence theory. By This is a theology from a long time ago. There is a guy named Graham Maxwell, I think, who just uh, recently passed away, yes? Um, basically saying that God does not kill. God does not destroy. Everyone will be saved. There is no such thing as, as, as destruction. Um, the cross, Jesus did not die the second death. Jesus just died to show how much he loved us. Um, a hymn such as um, at the cross, at the cross, no. Blood, blood. <laughs> I don't know what sort. <laughs> Power of the blood. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's, there's no power in the blood. There's, there, the, this theology is saying there's no power in the blood. The blood has no salvific effect. You know, it does not save you from anything. It is a mere manifestation of love from God to us. Okay? Now, do you understand that, that, that for some people, that, that, that intensifies the picture of, of the love of God to them? Yes? Do you, do you, can, can you understand that much? But if you swing that pendulum to, over that too much, what happens to the justice of God? What happens to the redemption of God? What happens to the, the law of God? What happens to the character of God? You get this unbalanced effect, and, and they have to work out the repercussions of that. Um, Continue in 1989, Richard Hamill, which was, who was the, the second president of, of Andrews University, came out with a saying that, hey, why can't we be theistic evolutionists as Seventh-day Adventists? Now, do you understand the, the, the creation, creation evolution issue is not about stupidity versus science? Okay? If I'm smart, I'm a scientist, and it's evolution. I'm dumb, and I believe in snakes, then I'm a that, that's, that's, that's clearly not the issue. We're looking at a comprehensive, systematic perspective of Scripture. If you deny the creative power of God, you're actually saying that God does not have the power to recreate our lives. That there is no salvific redemption power. Okay? These are all theological arguments, and this is not in the realm of science. But anyway, he comes out on this and says that, hey, why not embrace theistic evolution and Adventism? In the late 80s, there was an uh, organization called ATS. How many of you familiar with ATS? stands for the Adventist Theological Society. They are currently in existence today, another group called Adventist Affirm, who are reacting against some of the, the more progressive ideas out there. In the 90s were the worship wars. Okay, this is when praise music came in, and Seventh-day Adventists tend to be about 10 years behind, behind evangelical trends. And uh, praise music was about in the 80s, and, and Adventists said, hey, there's a new concept. It's called praise music. Let's, let's, let's in, and now with the Internet, we're only five years behind than, than others. Um, but 90s was a rough time uh, with contemporary Christian music and, and whatnot, drums, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 1993, Charles Scriven um, has the idea of, of social justice, a um, wonderful magazine called Spectrum. I'm being facetious. Um, this is being recorded, isn't it? Anyway, he, he wrote an, arc, uh, an article called God's Justice, Yes, Social Justice, No. And he's basically saying redemption is not the center of theology. It is, it is social justice. It is about community. It is about, it's not about heaven and, and all, these, all these other things. It's about just making it. What's happening is we're going back to the 1800s and going back to social, uh, the social gospel again. Okay? 1999, Rainer Brunsma comes out and says, uh, Adventists and Catholics, maybe we really, we really, really need to reevaluate whether the beast and the Catholic thing, if that's really working out, especially after Vatican II, and now that all Catholics are reading the Bible, could it be that the beast can be some other entity? Um, and subsequent to this individual, there are others uh, who have said maybe it's the, 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 um, the, the Muslims, with, uh, with terrorism, maybe it's the um, the uh, the green movement, uh, whether it's the um, uh, Obama, you know, whatever it is. Okay, uh, but they're reevaluating some of these things. 2004 was the science, faith and science conference. Uh, took a, took took the church a bit a long time to to get together, but they actually sat down and in Colorado they they talked about some of the the problems in the church. Pastors uh, and theologians were teaching one thing, and teachers and professors of science were teaching another. And 
how the church was going to, to reconcile this. 2008 and 2009, the creation evolution issue comes to a maximum climax with David Ashrick um, coming out with a letter, a blog going out called um, Educate Truth, of which this week they actually stopped um, circulation. Uh, but they have faith that the church officials now do know what's uh, to, to uh, resolve some of these things. And in 2000s, you have the GYC phenomenon. Okay? The GYC phenomenon is, is interesting. This is a grassroots movement. There was no one from the top down who, who created this. Now, there are individuals who have conspiracy theories, and uh, if you guys want to be entertained, I have plenty of conspiracy theories, I can tell you, that say that this person this person got together and, and along with the Pope and Winfrey Houston and, yeah, I don't know, all these things got together and created GYC. Um, this is not true. Uh, I believe the GYC was raised for a time such as this to find young people who are not, uh, haven't been bothered by some of these, these issues of the past and clearly just want to do God's will and not worry about some of these, these, these political contexts. Okay? Uh, this is where, where, where we're headed. In 1994, Adventist Today magazine, there's a guy named uh, Raymond Cottrell. Um, he wrote that there are four streams of Adventism. I, I believe this is interesting and important for everyone to know. Number one, there is evangelical Adventism. And basically, this, this, this stream says there is no difference between evangelicals and Adventists, that Adventists should be evangelicals, meaning uh, they stem from the Ford crisis and they have a solo focus on one aspect of the cross, and that is what? It's justification alone. Okay? The second, this is the smallest stream in Adventism. The second stream is progressive Adventism. This one is saying basically that revelation is progressive and constantly changing. We have all these beliefs and all these doctrines. Uh, theology of history is a, a belief that stuff is always changing, and we need to reevaluate and always change. Okay? The old is out, and when the new comes in, we need to embrace and adapt and, and whatnot. And uh, Ellen White is outdated. We need to take her stuff and update it and change it and, and, and keep it up to date and get 2.0, 3.0, and get the, the Windows updates to the spirit of prophecy. Okay? Three is historic Adventism. This basically said that Revelation has ended with the pioneer. Revelation being not the book of Revelation, but the, the inspiration part. Has ended with the pioneers, and everything basically now in the church is an apostasy, and everything is wrong right now. We need to go back to the 1800s where the pioneers were, and that's where the real Adventism is at. And number four is mainstream conservative Adventism. And this basically says that... Um, this is the largest group, and this is the group that's kind of clueless, kind of just goes to church, Sabbath, and goes home, um, represented by, excuse me, two books called uh, Handbook of SDA Theology, and the second one is SDA's Believe. The latter was written by uh, the previous speaker, Dr. Domsteed, who was just here. Okay. Um, all these four methods, all these four streams study the Bible differently. And this is what, what we want to emphasize. GYC takes a special emphasis on Bible study. Amen? Now, there are different ways to study the Bible. And the reality is liberals study the Bible a certain way. Conservatives study the Bible another way. And ultra-liberals ultra don't study the Bible. And ultra-conservatives really study the Bible really, really weird, okay? Really, really weird. How you study the Bible will determine how, how you will end up in at, at, the end, at the end of the day. Make sense? So what we're saying is this. Young people, do not get discouraged that there's different versions of Adventists out there. It's not because the Bible is professing four versions of, of whatever it's trying to profess, but it's, we have there's four different kinds of what? glasses that determine four different things that you see. And it's up to us, and we're going to talk about relativism and fundamentalism later on, is, is it possible to live in a church with this variety of opinion? What is the, the, the space and, and, and the pliability of, of the church, and how do young people function in this kind of jungle? Okay? Um, methods of Bible study. I believe that um, 
everyone should go to this website, <clears throat> HTTP. I don't know why I even said that. We don't even need that anymore. Happiness.org uh, <laughs> slash belief slash other documents slash other dash four doc four dot HTML. Anyway, you're not going to write that down, but you're going to get it from me later. Um, this is basically the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists Executive Committee Annual Council in 1986, and it's a document called Methods of what? Bible Study. There is a proper way to study Scripture, okay? It is improper to study Scripture by opening your Bible randomly and you say, Lord, speak to me, and then just you open to, to Malachi chapter 2 and point your finger. I'm like, yes, you know, why have you robbed me? Oh, Lord, I didn't rob What are you talking about? You know, it's... Um, there is another version of studying where you take uh, pieces of Scripture and, and, and you only take this word here and that word here and this word here and, and you create your own ideas, okay? Then there are people who take conspiracy theories and they, they smash it into the pages of Scripture and try to make Scripture uh, squeeze out some of these, these conspiracy theories. And there's others who say, hey, let's just open the Word of God and let's just opinionize and discuss and see what kind of creative ideas come out from us just meditating on the words. Okay? These are all different versions of Bible study, and they all have different results. And I believe all of them will result in deadly theories in the end. They will cause you to leave the church, and they will have huge spiritual implications. This document talks about three things. Uh, one is presuppositions, and I'm, we're not going to go into this because you guys can go on, online and, and find this for yourself. It is, a, it is a dry document. It is not a happening, graphic-friendly document. It is dry. This is what happens when theologians get together. They, they write dry stuff. Um, but I want to ask you, and I believe all of you are intelligent, to read this document and, and, and apply it to yourselves. It talks about presuppositions. Presuppositions are what you should bring to the Bible before you study with it. Okay? Two are principles, and three are methods, and I believe these methods are, are sound, and you, won't, you cannot go wrong with those. There are different methods of studying Scripture, and they will lead to different theologies. The predominant one on the liberal side is the historical critical method. It, this method says that the Bible is time-conditioned, is not applicable today. The Bible contains truth, but it is not what? It's not truth. Um, there are universities who espouse this view, and there are universities that teach this to their students. Okay. Yes. Oh, you need the URL back. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Ellen White talks a lot about the historical critical method. She does not call it the historical critical method. She calls it higher criticism. Okay. And it was alive in the 1800s very much, and she had much to say against it. Um, there is another version of studying scripture, and it's called, are you finished writing your, your, your link down? You're good. Oh, we got the thumbs up. Yeah. The historical grammatical method and uh, is basically saying that the Bible is true, and if you want to know some more uh, about these things, it is uh, found, uh, recommend the book by Dr. Samuel Cordentang Pippin, one of our, our speakers here, and it's basically called uh, Receiving the Word. Okay. On what basis? You have two sides here. One side says that uh, emphasizes the existential, ecumenical, culture-sensitive, pluralism, syncretism, interfaith, postmodern, inclusivity, relative, and the latest uh, hip word is the word what? Emergent. None of these words are, are different. They're, they're actually all the same. It's just every, every 10 years they use a different word. Okay? Um, basically, it says that all truth... Is, is relative, and it just doesn't matter what you really believe. The emergent movement was popular in evangel evangelical circles in 2003. Uh, it was actually in 2003 GYC. I was like, hey, maybe we should talk about this. Um, no one in Adventism knew what this was about, and in 2008, it just hit, it, it, it splashed, and right now it is a, a very popular belief. Basically, it's saying the emergent church is the end of all distinctive doctrine. Why do you have to be right and I have to be wrong? Let's just stop fighting. Okay? It is a reaction to people fighting. Okay? Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday. Nah, you know what? Stop fighting. Let's just worship on all days. Okay? And what happens is, 
what happens is, is each denomination and each religion actually have something to bring to the gospel. So let's say, hey, in order to learn about conviction and sacrifice, let's go to the, the radical fundamentalist Islamists and learn about why they're willing to give their life. They have, they have something we should learn. To learn about Christ's humility, let's go to the Buddhists. From the um, Baptists, let's learn how to um, baptize. <laughs> from, from the um, Catholic, you know, what's happening is it sounds appealing, doesn't it? Wow, like everyone's got truth and, and Adventism. We, 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 don't, we only have the Sabbath. So we just take a little bit and it's like a buffet, an old country buffet, and you come in. And instead of enjoying all these little side dishes by themselves, you take it a blender and you just, and then you drink it, okay? And it's just a beautiful experience, as, as they say, okay? Um, on the other side, you have exclusivity, the remnant, present truth, foundational, doctrine, distinctive, systematics, principle-oriented fundamentals, and timelessness, uh, timeless, timeless uh, truths. And it's interesting, it's interesting. Then depending, and, and even in this room, there are some of you who have come from a conservative background, um, and and your 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 actual spiritual bent is to lean towards the the liberal side. There's some of you who have come from a liberal background, and you're you want to leaning towards the conservative side. Let me give you my example, my my uh, my test, my, not my testimony, my uh, my experience. I grew up in the Adventist Church, where we did not know who Ellen White was. Simply, I had no idea who she was. Spirit of prophecy, I thought was some kind of Halloween, uh, uh, the spirit of, of, you know, Christmas Carol, the spirit of the past, the present, and the spirit of and the spirit of prophecy. Oh, another person. I had no idea. I did, I'm, I'm not exaggerating by any means. Um, when I was 16 years old, I went to the church library because um, I was bored, and um, I opened the, the cabinet, and there was a book called The Great Conflict. The what? And it was an abridgment of the great controversy. And on the front, and I was into science fiction when I was in high school, and on the front, there were stars and a planet, the great conflict. I'm like, man, this is a cheesy 70s cover, but it looks like a great sci-fi novel. And I, I picked it up, and I started reading it. Well, I couldn't put it down, and I, I don't know why I was reading it, because it's going through the Reformation. How many of you read Great Controversy? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you should go home and read the great conflict right now. Okay, or the great controversy. Anyway, I read through it, and I was like, hey, this is great. This is a great book. This, I kind of understand why we should keep the Sabbath. You know, like, this, this makes sense. I don't want to die, you know, <laughs> persecuted and all this stuff. Um, there's a sanctuary in heaven? There's a sanctuary in heaven? Like, like a church? Like, there's a church? Like, our little, there's like a pulpit upstairs? Like, this, this is just fast. And I discovered new truths. Um, and I'm not blasting my local church in any means, but from the pulpit there, all I heard was that Jesus loves me. Does Jesus love you? Amen. Is that true? Absolutely. No one's denying that fact at all. Jesus loves you. He forgives you. He forgives you. Happy Sabbath. <laughs> right? Now, for me, that, that, that was a very it was a, it was an awesome message. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good message. But I'd go, and I'd go throughout the week, and I'd sin. Yes? Do you know what it's like to, to do that? Okay? You're like, <laughs> speaker sins. Um, come back, and then I'd, hey, Jesus loves me. For this I know. The Bible tells me so. He forgives me over my sin. And, and, this, this, and what happened is it just produced a very blasé, uh, just almost fatalistic spiritual experience. Fatalistic. I'm struggling with the sin. Well, it's okay, because whatever. After reading the Spirit of Prophecy, I realized there's a whole new world out there. I got into a, a tape ministry called Tape Ministry. You remember tapes, you guys? These rectangles you actually touched. <laughs> Nothing digital, and, and, and there, was, there was like film inside, and they went in two circles. You guys know what I'm talking about? The older ones are like, yes! <laughs> The younger one's like, wow, you touch, touched it? Yes, touched it. Um, anyway, uh, it was, back then it was called American Cassette Ministries. And they had some great messages there. And I realized, wow, 1844? What, what, what does that mean? A heavenly sanctuary? Wow. 
the spirit of prophecy is like, wow, she has more books. <laughs> wow, she's got too many books, you know, like, oh. Okay. And there was this whole new world of Adventism that I was not, had no idea about. Now, the context that I came from was from a, we had a, a band in our church. Um, we believed in, in, in free grace, free love, free, free everything, you know, free popcorn on Fridays and, um, to, to, and, and, and victory, basically no victory over sin. Okay, no victory over sin. And uh, salvation is assured, so just could do whatever you want to do. And, and, and on a very superficial level, if you don't think, if you actually drug yourself not to think, that's actually a very good religion. Yeah, but if you're a thinking individual, if you're concerned and if you're if you're cognizant of world events and, and, and interacting with society, you're realizing there is a certain level of dissonance with that kind of religion. And the desire to get something deeper caused me to embrace Adventism. While in Adventism, I realized there were individuals, there were young people who had grown up in a context. Absolutely opposite from me. For me, after church, we would go out to 7-Eleven and hang out and eat and, and, and do whatever. I did not think that was desecrating the Sabbath. We'd go watch out movies after, after church. On Friday nights, we'd go party, and, and, and that was okay. okay. Alcohol is fine in moderation. Drugs is fine in moderation. Okay. This, this is the, the, the background that I'm from. Now, there, the, do you understand the pendulum effect in my life? where I went from, you know, what we'd call a more lackadaisical spiritual life, and because I'm reacting against that, I swing all the way to the other side, and I got into it in, in, a, in a period of my spiritual life where all I did was memorize Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with memorizing Scripture, but I would memorize passages of spirit of prophecy and then fling them at people. <laughs> yes? Now, you've met people like that, haven't you? If you haven't, then you're one of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't want to offend anyone. Well, I, I, anyway. Where the spiritual experience becomes so negative, and you get that furled brow, and, you, and, you're, and you're like, you, diet reform, dress reform, wallpaper reform, you know, like every reform possible, and, you know, you just, and you, 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 the standards get so high, and, 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 what, and what happens is, you can get so that focused that Jesus has gone there too. Yes? So what happens is, then, then I'm looking at all my friends, and we're, we're swinging to this side, and then we, we get too much that we swing to the other side, and each swing gets even more dangerous to swing back. So we're, we're, we get burned by the law and the legalism of it. So we're like, you know what? Let's go to the other side. I'm like, it's free for all, whatever you want to do. right? But what happens is you'll swing so far at one point that you swing yourself out of the church altogether. There has to be a point in a momentum of the pendulum, and I believe Jesus is the center of the Bible. He is the balance that we have. And Jesus was as free and as, as, as dogmatic to truth than any other human being in, in, in world's history. Yes? And I want to share with you a quote from the Spirit of Prophecy tomorrow morning. You've got to be here tomorrow morning because it's a wonderful quote. Man, that quote gave me ultimate freedom in my heart. We need to be conservative and liberal at the same time. But we'll talk about how, how that, that all works out. Okay. Um, it's interesting that if you see this, this thing here that those who, are, who lean towards the left, and by the way, when I use the terms liberal and conservative, left and right, I use them loosely because we, we define liberal and conservative in different ways. It's interesting because everyone thinks they're in the center. Right? <laughs> everyone thinks they're in the center. No one thinks, yeah, I'm a liberal. <laughs> I'm a conservative. No, I'm, I'm the center. You're a little bit left of me. You're a little bit more right of me. Okay. But those who focus on the left, they focus on the Holy Spirit. Okay. Do you feel the Spirit, friends? How many want the Spirit? Do you feel him? Oh, he's... he's I'm feeling... <gasps> I felt it. <laughs> okay. For those... And, and I believe there are some personalities and, and temperaments that, that kind of wing... That sway towards that way. You know, they're more emotional, right? You guys know who I'm talking about? 
Okay? If you think those type of people are annoying, then you're the other side. You're people who are cerebral and on, on the word. We need the word. All we need is the word. Have we opened the word today? We haven't prayed before we open the word. You know, and you get, and now, am, 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 are we making fun of people who open scripture? No, but it is the, the sternness that we're making fun of. And what I'm proposing to you is this, is not to look at people as liberal or conservative, but look at people as mean or not mean. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that to be funny. I'm saying that as a reality check. Can you be conservative and be really, really mean? Can you be liberal and be very, very mean? What we need, and we need a generation whose eyes are focused on Scripture and on Jesus. I don't know why I have the number three out. (laughs) And Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And God the Father. (laughs) Spirit of prophecy. Anyway. anyway. Who who focus on what's important and can dialogue with both sides. And this may sound heretical to some people. But I believe there are some things of the conservative side we need to retain. Amen? Conservatives know about standards. They know about scripture. They know about duty, and honor, and commitment. They don't know how to smile. <laughs> yes? And there are some things on the liberal side that we need to embrace. Redemption, grace, love, how to treat human beings sometimes. Now, maybe some of the, the way they interact with, with the truths of Scripture is questionable. But tomorrow, we're going to look at what, what Jesus has to say about these two sides. Okay? What we're saying is this. There are liberals and there are conservatives. And then in the middle, you have compromisers. Yes? There are burned people on the left, and there's burned people on the right. And because they've been burned on both sides, they say, you know what? I'm going to be right in the middle. The conservatives say, I need to wear long pants. The liberals say, I'm going to wear a miniskirt. So I'm going to how wear, you know, right in the middle of, and, and just centrists. And they're burned by both, both sides. Do you realize all three groups, their motive is fear? Yeah? It's fear. Now, what I'm saying is this. To be biblical means on some things we need to be radically conservative on. To be biblical on some things we need to be radically liberal on. And some things we need to be radically centrist on. It doesn't matter. We don't bring, we don't, we're not belong to a certain political party. We need to follow what scripture has to say. The spirit of GYC. I know we covered this the first night, but I want to go this a little bit more in depthly. One is a respect for scripture as the foundation and test for all teachings and practices. What this means is the, the genealogies of, of first and second chronicles are just as important as Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8. Amen? Now, we may not receive the immediate blessing after reading first chronicles chapter 1, okay? but it's there and it's fired and the, and the Holy Spirit put it there. Okay? Uh, we are not here to determine what is truth and what is not. Our, is, is, is our, our objective is to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say through the scriptures. Number two is appreciation for the spirit of prophecy. And I want to emphasize this. I believe the spirit of prophecy is authoritative and it is inspired, but it does not replace scripture. It cannot replace scripture. The spirit of prophecy is a flashlight that allows us to go into the basement and to find the breaker box to turn on all the lights in the house. That bigger light is what? Is scripture. But sometimes to get to scripture, you need the, the what? The battery-operated small little you know, LED light. Okay, makes sense? And there are some people who don't want to turn the lights in the house. All they want to use is the little book light. Okay? Quest for biblical holiness through a daily prayer and devotional experience with Jesus and a commitment to following his word. I believe this is a given, but the objective of, of devotional life is to experience real holiness, practical every day. Too many of us, we read through scripture as a check mark. 
Or how many of you have ever done the thing where, like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to read one chapter of Spirit of Prophecy a day. You, you check mark it. Or you, you, go, you read those devotional books. So, you know, one page a day. There's, a, there's your, your token Bible verse at the top. You have a nice little story about Jimmy that fell into the well. And you're like, you know what, I did my devotions. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to my heart. Too bad for Jimmy, you know, and then and you go throughout your day. Okay? We need to encounter the Holy Spirit through Scripture no matter how long it takes every morning. Sometimes that's instantaneous for the first verse you read. Sometimes it just takes a long time. Okay? But we need to familiarize, familiarize ourselves and get this, the, 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 the DNA of Scripture into our minds. Okay? A vibrant worship experience, one that's characterized by principle, reverence, and decorum. I believe worship is under attack today. Yes? I believe there are practices that we're, we're, we're having in, in the church today, not because they're inherently evil, but because we're embracing the entertainment model. Okay? When I am here before you, you are not the audience. You are not the what? Audience. In a proper lit- liturgy, okay, please don't think that's a Catholic word. It's not. It just means you know, worship. The speaker and the congregation together are, the, are before one person. And who's that? God. And we worship on Saturday because all of heaven and earth actually join together in the midst of worship. That is the function of worship. Worship is not a large congregation where you hear the pastor speak about something funny. Okay? You do that at a secular venue, at a comedy club or a theater or whatever, a sports venue or whatever. Okay? But in a, in, 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 in a worship experience, the person who's singing, they're not singing to you. Amen? They're singing to who? To God. And because they're very good at singing, and because we are not, that person is representing who? All of us. And because that person's, those person's words, that, that person's words are our prayer to, to God. What's happening is when the person comes on and sings, people are like, hey, you know what? That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. Now, if this was a concert hall, is that appropriate? Yes, it is. But in a worship context, you're taking on the applause that is only meant for who? God. That's horrible if you think about the ramifications of that. When the pastor is preaching, it is a, a my offering. I'm a preacher. My offering to the Lord. It is my sacrifice to the Lord. And when you're all listening, you're sacrificing your what? Your ears. <laughs> what I mean is you're listening to what I have to say. Okay? Or whoever is up here. What you're offering, your offering is not some membership fee that, that you're paying for the church. It is your what? Your sacrifice. I mean, this is making sense. Okay? And we're hoping by a proper recalibration of worship here at GYC, not to cast judgment and saying, oh, we need to excommunicate all those, you know, whatever, 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 whatever but to provide inspiration and say, hey, we need to restore worship again in our churches. Amen? And we believe that young people can do that. Right? We believe young people are pure and smart enough to, to, to lead out in churches and to get that across. Anyway, principle, reverence, and decorum, passion for lost souls, animated by personal experience and the saving love of Jesus and desire for his imminent return. Um, Evangelism is our ultimate motive, right? It, it is evangelism is not more so for the person that we're reaching out to, but more for who? For us, okay? And if we don't have this passion, we ask the Lord, give us this passion. Why? Is the passion necessary for salvation? No, the passion is indicative of the heart of Jesus in our lives. Amen? Okay. Um, cultivation for God, the relation. I'm not going to talk about that. Just find a nice person and get married to them. Um, exemplary and abundant lifestyle, uh, recreation and entertainment, dress and healthful living. Now, this is this is where this is where um, can take some time. We believe here, and just because Scripture says it, our clothes should reflect Jesus. Our diet should reflect Jesus, and what we put before our eyes and ears should reflect Jesus. Yes. Now, there has been a trend in the church to just emphasize this. And have there been young people who have been abused when this has been the only thing that's been emphasized? Yes. 
right? Now, as a reaction to this, some people are saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what you wear. Just come to Jesus. Now, is that true to a degree? Yeah, sure, right? But after you have Jesus in your heart, it should change the way you dress and the way you eat and all these things. Now, that's between you and God alone, right? But that, that there is, a, there is an, a, a composite effect from the inside and the outside together. Okay? We want to emphasize there are ways that, that, that emphasize and, and, and give evidence to that. Okay? Enthusiasm for service through care for the needy, service to the community, promotion of human rights, and the stewardship of the environment. This, I believe, friends, is where um, many of our liberal friends have a monopoly and are doing a very good job about. Okay? When some people have an emotional barrier to Jesus, we have, some people are called to put down those emotional barriers, whether it's through counseling, whether it's through sitting and, and listening, or through caring and loving, friendship, whatever it is, okay, helping resolve some of the emotional barriers. Some people have intellectual barriers to Jesus. So whether we do apologetics or help them people think through their thoughts or, or get them books and information and material, we, we remove those intellectual barriers. Some people actually have physical barriers to Jesus. Did Jesus remove those physical barriers while he was on this earth? Yes, he did. How is someone going to come to Jesus when they have AIDS and HIV and they have five children and they're poor and they have nothing to eat? Should we knock on their door, give them a Bible study, baptize them, and leave them, leave them be? Shouldn't we be on the front edge of, of social justice issues and helping people not for social justice's sake, but for their salvation's sake. Shouldn't that be our focus? Now, the, uh, the, the liberals also have this as, as, a, as a monopoly just because we're out there to, to change the world and make the world a better place because Jesus is never coming in anyway. We're all, by here, we're all here by ourselves. Anyway, service to the community, promotion of human rights and stewardship for the environment. All of you should be saving water. When you're in your hotels, don't use all the towels and throw them on, on the floor. Help save the environment by some of your, some of you are smiling because you're guilty. You know that you shouldn't be doing that. Um, don't steal all the shampoo and go home with it. You know, think of different ways to save energy. Okay, we are called to be stewards. Okay, now there is, there has been hijacked. You know, there's been some Buddhists and some um, New Agers who say, you know, we need to worship Mother Earth and let's be part of the Green Movement. Okay. Um, just because you're saving energy does not mean you're, you're Buddhist. It just means that, anyway. That's it. Commitment to the Seventh-day Adventist Church as God's remnant church by supporting and upholding its principles, organization, and leadership. Um, I say this um, with, with a lot of... Uh, a lot of people have been discouraged with the church. Yes? Um, the church is made of up human individuals. We need to pray for our church, and the Lord still uses his people in his church. Amen? Young people are very sensitive, I believe, to see uh, discrepancies in behavior, and uh, sensitive to arrogance, sensitive to hypocrisy, or sensitive to d- disconnection somewhere. Um, I believe the Lord still works through his church. What we need to do is pray for his people. Okay? How it works is this. Start, when you're going to your local church, pray for your pastor. Love your pastor. If he's a horrible preacher, pray for your pa- pre- a pastor. Okay? Pray for him while he's preaching. Okay? Pray for your, your board. Pray for your elders. Pray for your leadership. When David was selected to be the king of Israel, who was still king at the time? Saul. Did David march on into the palace and say, Saul, get out of here. I'm the chosen one. You get out. He said, Saul is still the what? The king. He's still the anointed. Okay? And until the Lord put him in there, and until the Lord what? Takes him out, I'm just going to wait in line at the checkout counter. Okay? Now, because of that deference to that leadership, the Lord protected him while he, when he was in the same position of a myriad of other things that could have happened, the Lord protected him at that time. Okay? Now, granted, he also got himself into a lot of problems himself, right? His whole, you know, Bathsheba lady thing. Okay? But we need to support and uphold its principles, organization, and leadership. And I believe the Lord uh, this year is, is, is moving through his church. Amen? Amen. And um, what this means is this. All of us should be concerned with what is excuse me, going on in our church. 
That means all of you read the Advent Review magazine. Yes? Get the minutes from the annual council and read up on what's going on. Talk to your conference president or, or, or union president. Read the union paper. If you don't know what a union paper is, go look it up on the Internet and get a subscription. Okay? Call the office and say, hey, I'm 27 years old and where's my paper? Okay? I'm concerned for the welfare of the church. I'm a thinking individual. <laughs> I am a tithe-paying, Jesus-loving Adventist. Okay? And I would encourage you, write to your magazines. Dear editor, this article rocks. Write more of this. Dear editor, this article needs prayers, <laughs> you know, or whatever it is. Okay. Um, we can do a, we can get away with a lot. Did you know that? Because you can just say, oh, hey, I didn't know I'm young, I'm dumb. Okay. Make a mistake once, you're good. Learn from the mistake. Don't make the mistake, what? Twice. And what I'm saying is this, we're, we need, this, 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 this just burdens my heart. When you look at our church, all the 50s and 60-year-olds, in, in 20 years, they're going to die. And for those of you who are older here, I'm, forgive me for saying this, but it is, it is a reality check. You're going to die. Okay. I don't know why you're shocked. It is a biological fact. That's why I believe we need for Jesus to come even, even more, right? But in 20 years, for those of you who are in your teens and your 20s, guess who will be the leaders? And I believe if you have the commitment and the maturity to come out to a youth conference such as this when you're at this age, how much more responsibility and expectation does the Lord have for you in 20 years? This is the future of the church. And I believe the Lord can do powerful things if we have a group of young people who have not been burned by any side and have just been seeing the pure glory of Jesus himself. This is the spirit of GYC. Last one, attitude of humility and cordiality. We seek to clarify, articulate, defend the biblical teachings of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. This was just beautiful. I just saw it down the, this, this, where are we? I don't know where we are. We're far away from everywhere else. Um, down the hall, there was a lady. She came out of the, the, um, the seminar room, and uh, she, she, one of our leaders would say, hey, what's wrong? I'm like, you know what? The, the seminar was full, so I left. Oh, I was so sorry. Da, 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 da. No, no, no. I, was, I actually had a seat, but I just felt there might be another person who might have benefited from the uh, seminar more than I would, so I gave that seat up to them. Oh, hey, thank you so much. Oh, I did it willingly. And then she, she went through all the seminars, and she went to the seminar that had the least amount of people, and she sat there to encourage the speaker because there was not enough. That level of humility, classiness, cordiality is a rebuke to me and to everyone, I believe, that, 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 that was there. Right? That's just one indicator, the attitude of that. Is, is something that we all need to espouse. Contrast that to another older gentleman who put his foot down and said, I demand my money back. And uh, I'm just making fun of this never happened. But imagine if, if that happened here at GYC, right? I came all the way from, from California and I want my seat in that seminar and I want it, you know, heated. And you know, we need to not only believe in Jesus and love Jesus, but also mimic his humility while he was on this earth. Amen? Some, some, um, this is a quote from Ellen White. We're almost finished here. Um, in reviewing our past history, having traveled over every, you know this, every step advanced to our present standing, I can say, praise God. As I see what the Lord has wrought, I am filled with astonishment and with what? Confidence in Christ as leader. We have what? Nothing to fear for the? Except as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and his teaching in our past history okay tomorrow morning we'll look at the example of jesus and how he dealt with liberals in his day and how he dealt with conservatives in his day as well and then that one after that we're going to look at a sociological study on how to work with relativists and then fundamentalists in this society again i mentioned some some tough stuff here um not tough but 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 straight stuff i don't mean to be critical of any individual at all but this is where we're at in the history of GYC. We're in 2010. I want to ask you, how many of you thought you'd ever be in 2010? 
I thought 2010 there'd be flying cars and like transporters by now, and that hasn't happened. All we have is iPods, and it's not a great. Uh, it's all right. Okay. How many of you want to go home? And how many want to drive this church, get into the driver's seat? I don't know if you noticed, but GYC has very high expectations of young people from age 20 to 35. It's the future of the church. Let's start being the church. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, um, Lord, I don't really know what today was. It wasn't really a, a sermon or a seminar or a workshop or a study. Um, but Father, I pray that... Um, Despite whatever opinions I may have or uh, objectives this organization may have, uh, that your spirit speak to everyone's heart. Lord, you all, we, are, we all really, we're all over the map here, and we all need to be realigned to Jesus Christ. So, Father, take the scales away from our eyes. Help us to see the glory of him. Help us to see the, the liberal components of Jesus. Help us to see the conservative components of Jesus. Um, help us to see just every aspect of him. For the parts that need to be chopped off, Lord, we ask that you chop them off and to uh, cut our hearts if necessary as well. Father, I ask for a special blessing on each brother and sister of mine in this room. Lord, bless them. Bless the future leaders, whether it mean future elders and deacons, future writers of magazines, future mothers and fathers. Lord, help us to be the church now. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit gycweb.org or email info at gycweb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786, Ann Arbor, Michigan, 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it. And keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.